Greetings from the North, citizens of the world, welcome. Today we dive deep into an age-old philosophical subject, namely the concept of evil, and examine it from many different angles, with practical, psychological and spiritual implications. What exactly is evil? Is it an objective force? What's up with the notion of a devil? Are there Satanist cults around? What of pedophile, child abuse and serial killers? And what's the moon got to do with anything? These are just a few of many highlights conjured up between me and my guest, whom I'm happy to announce is my buddy Alex Sakiris, host and producer of Skeptico, the mother of all podcasts. He is an entrepreneur and science philanthropist, originally from Chicago, now based in San Diego. He got his MBA from Western Illinois University, spent several years as a Price Waterhouse consultant, and also took a research associate position at the University of Arizona in pursuit of a PhD in artificial intelligence. He eventually left academia in order to found Mind Path Technologies. Apart from being involved in several successful business ventures, Securis is also a member of Texas Instruments Artificial Intelligence Laboratory and along with Annalisa Ventola started the open source science. He is even an inventor holding patents on remote mouse controller and systems for user-defined personal web cards. Sakiris has appeared at innumerable podcasts and syndicated radio talk shows. Worth mentioning here are those hosted by his friends Gordon White of Rune Soup, Miguel Connor of Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio, both friends of our show, and Greg Calwood of Higher Side Chats. His own excellent podcast was started in 07 and has become famous for profound discussions with cutting-edge scientists emphasizing frontier research on paradigms, parapsychology, consciousness, death, complementary medicine, evolutionary teleology, and more recently even the UAP phenomenon. It has had millions of downloads and is highly respected among academics and researchers within these fields. Its slogan, Science at a Tipping Point, indicates that science is on the verge of a paradigm shift away from crude materialism, a subject frequently permeating his shows. His skeptical forum is, is equally renowned for high-quality discussions and was previously known as the Mind Energy Forum. Now, 
Last time we had Alex on, we discussed his book Why Science is Wrong About Almost Everything. Needless to say, it draw the wrath of our modern day inquisitors, namely the pseudo-skeptic materialists. Now he is in the process of publishing another one, which tangents the professional field of his wife, the forensic psychologist Dr. Joni Johnston, and the title of this book is Why Evil Matters. Another slogan of his show, Skeptical, is follow the data wherever it leads. And today we do follow evil wherever it leads. And indeed, you'll find it goes to the strangest places. Now, one more note about the show today. Although we did agree upon a mutual discussion rather than a traditional interview, as we've done twice when he had me on Skeptical and twice when I had him on for the aforementioned show, plus the private chat we uploaded to a bonus section at our website several times during the debate today, (laughs) I just forgot that he was my guest and I was the host. A testimony to his excellent ability to turn the tables and to draw me into the exchange of ideas flow. So, if you enjoyed our previous interactions, you will definitely be into our wild ride today. Welcome back to Forum Borealis, Alex. Al, I'm so delighted to be back here. I'm ready for some tough questioning. That's what I love about being here. I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled. Uh, And I have to really dig deep into my behinds to find them. But I think I'll (laughs) manage to drag something out. (laughs) So we'll see. And folks, by the way, Alex is, uh, well, you haven't released a new book yet. You're working on it, right? Correct. And, you know, that's what I love about this kind of dialogue is, we're going to talk about some stuff and it's going to w- make its way into the book. You know what I mean? Oh, so I'm, I'm leaning on you, <laughs> especially with your background. I mean, we're just chatting about some more stuff. I mean, this is why I love these unique kind of ongoing dialogues that you have. They're so, so, so next level. I really appreciate that. Oh, I'm into that, bro. No, so so you are wor- working on this new book. Uh, no pressure, I see, <clears throat> getting in there with our dialogue today. We'll see. But the thing is, the topic for his book is the ultimate classic. <laughs> it can't be more classic in, uh, in terms of philosophy, religion, existentialism, basically. And that is the phenomenon of evil. So we are going to discuss evil today and see where we can get. And I have done my preparation because I've listened to, as you know, people, I've listened to Alex's show for a long time. And everybody who's listened to you know that maybe the last year or two, you've been going more and more and more down that road. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't know quite how to take that. Well, it's, it's, it's like you're on a journey. Your show is in a journey. And 
like you've been browsing around that theme for a long time. I've noticed it, especially when you start erasing it with people you won't expect right, <laughs> to right. discuss it with. Even there, I mean, one thing is when you discuss with, you know, a victim of pedophilia and stuff like that, but you keep bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. So it's on your, the forefront of your radar. And when you're on this perpetual quest for truth, it was only a matter of time before you landed to the like like the ultimate question. <laughs> Ground zero. You know, the church has been struggling with this since the beginning, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, that's kind of one of the points, right, is, is they've struggled with it. And then as a substitute, they've kind of allowed us, made us all look away by going, hey, here it is. It's all solved. We have it all answered right here, you know. Mm. And of course, they have the worst answers in the world. You know, they don't have a good answer for it. That's why I don't know about um, congregation, but every theologist knows that, does no. I mean, it's called the problem of evil for a reason, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, they can't square it with their infantile paradigm. That's the problem. We'll, of course, take it to another level. You're kidding? I've been looking forward to this. I, I just <clears throat> love the way you do this. Mm. But. Um, we have to start with definitions. It's probably boring for you, but we have to do this. Well, yeah, you know, but let me clarify. Because <laughs> I think I can challenge I you. I think, that. first of all, like the title of the book, there's a subtle change there that you will get and you do get, but a lot of people don't. Because mm-hmm. the title of the book is Why Evil Matters. Mm. Yeah. So it's really not about what is evil, defining evil, mm. calling out evil, you know. Good it's, point. Why evil matters, and it's also the subtitle is how science and religion fumbled the big one, and that's really the point. Yeah. You know, so like you read my first book, and you were so kind to have me on your show. The first book I wrote was why science is wrong about almost everything, and the premise of the book was that if you're science and you don't get consciousness right, if you're not factoring consciousness in, if you're not wrestling to the ground, the question, is consciousness fundamental or is reality out there in just a bunch of little Lego blocks that we can measure and analyze? So Mm. that's a real question, right? It's a philosophical question. It's also a scientific question. It gets down to the root of quantum physics. And that is the question is, what is this thing called consciousness? So the whole thing I was trying to pull out was that, hey, look, if you don't get that right, mm-hmm. then you can't get everything, you can't get anything else right. And and that's not said as like, I'm going to come down on it one way or another. It's just saying, realize that you've done this, what I have often talked about is th- this shut up and calculate thing. So <laughs> they've reached one. a point. Science reaches a point where they say, well, gee, I don't know. Is consciousness fundamental? Is this more or less a simulation to use that metaphor, even if we don't mean that literally, you know, where everything is kind of being generated by consciousness? No, abs- absolutely. Or No, no, but I, I see, you see, uh, when you... Uh, and, and thank you for enlightening us about the title, because yes, it gives it away, because it's as it's a huge broadside against the relativists. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a relativist, but by that I mean those who say that 
Why would um, uh, evil matter? Well, because, you know, in the grand scheme of things, blah, 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 right? right? It's the same they do with consciousness. They try to relativize it away. But we're still back to square one because if it matters, we need to understand what it is. Because if we don't define it, it's the same with consciousness. If you don't start with all the right uh, building bricks, you won't manage to build a construction. It will just fall apart. And it's the same here. In order to realize that it matters, in order to convince people that it matters, we need to understand what it is first and then see how it works. So that's what I want to do with you today. Okay. Because you haven't gone uh, that philosophical road so much. You've oh. you talked a lot about the manifestations of it. Fair enough, of course. The, the, if it matters, that's what you have to do. But I want to take it a little step back and see first what it is. And then we can start, you know, chasing it throughout society, throughout history throughout whatever spirit maybe so um, if you're game uh, I want you to define evil for us as you understand it oh man I'm so glad you asked this question (laughs) because you know I just had a conversation about the book with our mutual friend Gordon White on Rune Soup Mm. and he seemed to be hung up on this thing of the definition of evil you know and I'm like Gordon you don't get it what this book is about is pointing out that we don't have a definition of evil. Mm. So we have a culture that put quote that puts quotes around the word mm. and denies that it could even exist outside of a movie. And then we have religion on the other hand that says, oh no, I'll tell you exactly what evil is. Let me pull out my 2000 year old book and tell you what it is. And we're accepting that, that this is how we should treat this fundamental question. We should accept science on one hand that says it can't possibly exist because consciousness doesn't even exist. Mm. And on the other hand, we should listen to religion that has some dogmatic authoritarian view of it. So we have the best, brightest intellectual minds, scientific minds, philosophic minds, reasoned minds, but we won't approach this topic? Why? It's ridiculous. So the quest is to begin to define evil, but not do it before. We're not in a position to do it because my point is we haven't applied our, our, we haven't gotten out of this rut we're in, in terms of understanding how it's currently being defined by these forces in our culture, science and religion. Right. Well, uh, for me, it's one of those terms that end up in a very useless bag. In that bag, you will find terms like soul and God. If you think about it, they mean nothing. And I'm not a materialist, as you know. But still, a soul and God are completely meaningless terms because they can't be used in practice. Everybody uses them all the time. But nobody, uh, like everyone has their own understanding of it, their own approach to it. And the same, I think, with evil. Oh, yeah. uh, it's easier in practical circumstances because if you're faced with <clears throat> some uh, crazy, destructive, psychopathic, sadistic, serial killer type, everybody will agree calling that person evil. Um, but that's not very handy for us in everyday life. And... You know, if we, I've heard you discuss it in relation to UFOs, in relation to the spiritual world. Uh, 
Yes. Uh, I mean, we could discuss stuff like hell. Uh, and so my point is, we need some kind of understanding. It's very easy to think, well, it's the same as destruction. But sometimes destruction is extremely good. <laughs> like if you're, if you're in, uh, in a concentration camp in, during Second World War, you will cheer on the destruction of Germany so that you can be free. So destruction doesn't work either. So I, I was hoping you could um, get, uh, suggest some specifics that we can use to take this further. Because if you can't define it, it doesn't matter. Well, you know, you mentioned that I've been hammering on this topic for a while, and I have. Yeah. And a, a few months ago, I got a great email from a listener, and this guy's name is Tom Zenzer, Dr. Tom Zenzer. Turns out he's a clinical psychologist. He's worked in Grand Rapids for I don't know how many years, and he finally retired. But he says, Alex, you know, I, I like the show, but you got this evil and darkness thing all mixed up. You got it all wrong. Because mm -hmm. let me explain it to you. And he goes on to tell me that how his clinical practice was working with people with with disassociative identity disorder. You know the split personality thing, mm. the thing you see on on the, the movies and TV. Mm. Which which by the way, let's not forget, there's a great little bit of science that recently came out of Germany some neuroscientists in Germany who were looking at dissociative identity disorder. So since I've digressed, let me go all the way. Mm -hmm. And this was brought to my attention by my friend, Dr. Bernardo Castrop, who you know, who's the excellent philosopher and has, and scientist, computer scientist, who's written so profoundly eloquently about this consciousness problem. Mm. But back to the German doctors and disassociative identity the whole thing about this split personality has been kind of a hot button in science and in psychology because they didn't want to accept it. They want to say, oh, that's just fake. It's not real because the implications for consciousness like we we're talking about are pretty profound. Yeah. So these guys did a clever experiment. They found this person who said, hey, I have split personality, DID. And when I occupy this alter ego state that is within me, I am blind. I can't see. So they put her in their F they put her in an FRMI and they looked and lo and behold, her brain took the shape of a blind person. So the neural correlates in her brain corresponded to the neural correlates in a blind person. So this proves Two things. Well, it proves one thing, and it highly suggests something else. The thing that it proves, absolutely, is that DID, split personality, is real. Mm. That person is experiencing blindness when they, enter, when they enter that ego state. And secondly, it's highly suggestive that consciousness is fundamental, kind of along the lines that we were talking about at the beginning, and that materialism once again, fails. I mean, it fails over and over again, but here's yeah. another example. So now that's a long digression. Wind that all the way back to my friend, Dr. Tom Zinzer. He says, here's what you don't get about evil and darkness. He goes, there is darkness. It is a force of nature. It is like gravity. It's just dark. There's really lightness is the whole game. There's, you know, 
whether you want to call it, whatever you want term you want to put on that, it is the light. It is love. Some people would call it God or whatever. Mm. But in this playing field that we're in, there's lightness and there's darkness. And dark, and what happens is we people are sometimes drawn to this darkness for whatever reason. And that act of moving towards the darkness is what evil is about. So evil is a verb. Darkness is just is. Evil is the act of moving towards the darkness, mm. aligning with the darkness, being assumed by the darkness. Mm. This is obviously a somewhat religious or spiritual uh, definition you're using, which is fine. Which is perfect for me. Well, hold on, hold on. Let me just interject. Yeah. It, it's really not. Because I left a big part out of this story, right? Mm -hmm. Tom Zinzer isn't a Christian. Tom Zinzer isn't a spiritual guy. Tom Zinzer is a clinical therapist, a psychologist, PhD, Texas A&M, worked in the psych Yeah, but he, he, he wasn't born under a rock. I mean, he's influenced by hold culture. On, hold on. Yeah. You're gonna, we're going to bury the lead here. Okay. So he's working... He, he works at a mental institution as part of his training, mm. and that's how he encounters people with a dissociative identity disorder. But here's the whole – I left off, you know, I'm my, my bad because I left off the most interesting part of the story. Mm -hmm. Tom's there. He's working in his practice, and like a lot of people helpers, he's frustrated. He's coming in. He's doing hypnotherapy with people. He's doing ego states therapy. People are not getting better. And he's like, what the hell am I doing here? I need to find something else. <laughs> One day, this woman walks in. She's a part-time secretary. She barely knows him or he barely knows her. And she goes, Tom, I couldn't help but overhear you and your colleagues talking about your out-of-body experience and your dabbling with the Monroe Institute, right? We all mm -hmm. know the Monroe Institute, right? And he goes, okay, yeah, what about, what about it? She goes, I have been in contact with a spirit entity named Jared, and Jared would like to connect with you. So all this stuff I'm telling you about evil and about darkness and about Tom's understanding of that ontology, that, that framework is based on his 15-year collaboration with this channeled spirit entity named Jared. What makes it so interesting is this guy is not religious. This guy is not spiritual. He's just a freaking psychologist mm. who says, okay, if you can tell me, Mr. Spirit, how this works, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it. And the spirit says, okay, you know that patient you have, David, who's coming to see you next week? The origin of his fear of drowning is a past life memory that's reverberating through him. And here's how you unlike, unlock that. So he goes in and goes, Jesus, well, I'd... so he goes in and he explores through the hypnotherapy work that he does, where he puts these people in a deep trance and they can only respond by moving their fingers one way or another to signify yes or no. That's how deep of a trance they're in. And he starts identifying and what he finds with these patients completely fits with mm. what this guy in the spirit realm, this entity, this spirit in the spirit realm is telling him. This then becomes, he maintains all the protocols, all the uh, scientific rigor that he had. You know, he's making transcripts. He's carefully going through it. He's not, he's not flying off into, you know, 
the spiritual realm or anything like that. He's just saying, how can I possibly see if this is going to help make these clients more effective at living happier lives, at overcoming these problems that they're having? So he finds that there, he, he starts discovering a lot of things about the interaction between the spirit world and our world. And those fit into his understanding of the difference between evil and darkness. Mm. No, but but he's coming from there, etc. But still, unless you were just um, secondhand referring his explanation, it's still uh, it's coming from a spiritual um, language and paradigm. The way, and I don't blame him if he had those experiences, because when you talk about when you say that, you're contrasting that to what Al? Tell me what you what you mean as as opposed to what. Yeah, that's a good point because then we have to admit that the materialists are defining exactly. The, Because uh, contrasting it to, you know, everyday life, you can't uh, go into a workplace and talk about darkness. <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> I, I guess you can say evil, but you can't talk about dark forces. We can do it today, and that's fine. It's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I'm just saying it because it can be approached from several no, I get uh, aspects. It. And I think the aspect where it works best is that aspect because if you approach it psychologically it kind of evaporates uh, in the sun look i know i have a huge uh, network of acquaintances i know uh, christian fundamentalists i know satanists i know atheists rich people poor people extreme right wingers extreme left wingers guess what all of them have in common you're going to tell me <laughs> If it's not obvious, all of them believe that they are one right, that's a given, and second, that they are good. And they believe that they're entitled, because most, uh, if you become an extremist, doesn't matter what kind of extremism, usually there's a polarity. Right. That's the problem with extremism. There's always a polarity, and th those are always the bad guys. Now, I'm not. Uh, I was dissing relativism in the beginning, and it sounds like I'm uh, being a relativist now. But uh, in order to own this discussion and have some weight behind our arguments, we have to. We, we can't ignore it. We have to do do by it first, which is why I'm going there. So there we have a problem. Hitler thinks, uh, let's say, Stalin is evil. Stalin thinks Hitler is evil. Hitler is patting his dog. He's uh, kissing his wife's cheek. He feels like a good he's guy. He's a vegetarian. He's, yeah. <laughs> oh, then he is evil. No, so he's he's a good guy. He wakes up this sunny morning. Ah, what am I going to do for the world today? Well, I think I'll invade Poland. That's doing God's work or whatever. That's the problem. We have a million paradigms. And they rarely, uh, no two paradigms are fully in harmony. And that's one of the problems. Uh, the other problem is, of course, you, you can say that, well, <clears throat> people can be evil without knowing it. You could say, you can make a case for if it's an objective force, which is the spiritual or metaphysical argument, then uh, people can believe they are good and doing good, but then they can be tricked or seduced or whatever by that force and implement that darkness in, in everyday life or whatever. That's possible, of course. So that's an argument. But still, uh, when I think about it, 
I'm really hard pressed to think about any people that I would think believe themselves to be evil. Even pathetic church-burning Satanists, you know, these, for example, I don't care if it's like black metal dudes, or if it's like Anton LaVey Satanists, or if it's like um, uh, Typhonian chaos magician kind of types. All of them, you know, they were babies once, they were sucking their thumb they have all the needs that human beings have but then again i know that there is such a thing as psychopathy narcissism and also you know psychopathology that could just disconnect any moral fiber in your brain by the way you you don't have to it's it's very unusual for me when you silence your end we're not on a radio show oh, oh i didn't i didn't silence my end i just i just uh, oh see <laughs> I, 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 I'm just, I was just waiting. I was just waiting for you, for you to, to finish your point. Because, again, folks, I mean, I hope I haven't turned anyone off initially. Because I, I just so value what you bring to these dialogues. And so many times I hear, uh, sometimes when I, when I do my show, people uh, complain that I interrupt people uh, too much. No, yeah, but you, you no, have no, the prerogative on. today. You're the guest. No, I, I only interrupt people when they're saying stupid shit. Oh. You know what I mean? I'm not going to interrupt <laughs> you because I'm learning something when you're saying no, it, that's right? A compliment. So I'm Thank all you. ears. Let me talk to people who are smarter than me so I can learn something. So that's why I wasn't interrupting. I'm very comfortable interrupting people. Uh, I wish I had that excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but you said something at the at the beginning, Al, which I think is fundamental to this. Yeah. And you you double clutched on it yourselves because you realize the problem with it. Mm. And that is when we talk about, and I think I might have met us, led us too quickly down the down the path with the Tom Zinzer story. Because mm. here, when you said, well, you know, it's you're talking about the spiritual. And I said, compared to what? And then you said, well, yeah, I guess you're right, you know, because the only alternative would be this materialism, mm. you know, that all matter really. And I think that speaks to the extent to which we've been mesmerized by this biological robot meaningless universe yeah. meme that we're in. We can't see outside of it. So when we talk about the spiritual and the metaphysical as being an alternative, let's switch that around. All the evidence suggests that the spiritual and the metaphysical is the grounded reality and that what we experience in terms of the material you know, the, the stuff and the hit, even the Hitler stuff and all that is, you know, the tanks and the, and the iPhones and all that is somehow a manifestation out of that other reality. And again, remember how I posed that at the beginning. I'm not, I'm, I'm just saying we have to understand that we're making that decision, choosing which one you think is real is fundamental. I'm not saying you have to choose one way or the other, but I'm saying the, the, that choice is fundamental. So let me take it also a different way, because I want to talk about, uh, it, it, to, to your point, you know, because everyone gets hung up on the two things that, that kind of, I don't know, set off my buttons a little bit. Mm-hmm. One is the quantifying evil thing, you know, like, well, you know, who's worse, Hitler or Stalin, or what's worse, you know, uh, uh, drone striking kids or uh, the guy who rapes kids and, you know, uh, Jeffrey Epstein kind of thing. Mm. To me, that misses the point if we're talking about it from a spiritual metaphysical perspective. From a physical metaphysical perspective, maybe there's something deeper that we need to consider. Just maybe. 
Yeah, and you started there. I, I, I want to go there a little later. I want us to start down on Earth and then take it further. Let me go. So let me go there. Yeah. Let me go there and see if this catapults us into the conversation. Mm. Consider Ted Bundy, right? Everyone yeah. knows Ted Bundy now. They're making more and more movies. You can't, you can't turn it on Netflix and get away from Ted Bundy. Well, I didn't the other day because my son actually turned me on to the Ted Bundy tapes. The guy who actually went in and interviewed Ted Bundy in prison and has all these hundred hours of recorded tapes with Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. If you don't know this, one of the most famous serial killers of all time and just brutal, all killed and stuff like that. What a lot of people don't know is that the Ted Bundy story is kind of an interesting story because he's really a very ordinary kid. Mm. Grows up in an ordinary family. No trauma. You know, like, has, you know, no abuse. He's living in Washington. Everything's good. He's going to the baseball games. He's going to church, everything. Mm. Ted Bundy's own experience is that an entity – entered in through an ego state that he had created. This is right out of Ted Zinzer now yeah. that he had somehow created this slight little altered personality kind of thing, just a little bit with his preoccupation with girls, which every teenage boy has, but his kind of went in a tweaked way and an entity kind of entered the equation. And Ted says, this is Ted saying in his tapes saying that that entity gradually took over me and it took over me to an extent that I couldn't control it. The other interesting thing about Ted is he starts committing these crimes on some cycle, 1336, 1336, 1336, days apart. Again, uh, you uh, know, was he counting? Some kind of occult significance. So we're going to have to decompress or, or, you know, pull apart what all that means. But yeah. look at if we can't begin to analyze that from what that would mean from a spiritual metaphysical standpoint, look, we get gobbledygook. So when <laughs> forensic psychologists analyze that, we get gobbledygook because they go, well, there can't be anything to entities. There's no such thing as entities that live in this extended consciousness and somehow inter that's completely preposterous. So let's not look there. And then we go to the religious people and they go, oh, I know what that is. <laughs> Pull out my Bible. I'll tell you exactly what that is. So that's where we live. We are incapable of penetrating this to any degree that is the least bit interesting or meaningful. Mm. No, I hear you. Of course, a psychologist could say, or a psychiatrist maybe could say, well, they are, he's externalizing aspects of his own mind because let's face it the human mind is such a complex phenomenon that the whole uh, science devoted to studying it is so infantile it's like just scratching the surface. it's like children trying to understand uh, rocket science so there's so much we don't know, and and so they could but, say. But then, Al, what? Do yeah. you, but Al, what would you do then with the study that I mentioned earlier, the German study published in 2015, where they did the fMRI of the yeah. split personality, and the brain is now showing that it's so. So see that that's I think where the discussion breaks down, where we kind of fall back into this. Well, the materialist psychologists would say this. Well, that's because they're full of shit. 
They haven't <laughs> kept up with their science. They haven't kept up with the art, and they don't know what the, where the science is leading. So, no, no, it's no, no. You know, uh, people like uh, Darren Brown, right? Sure. We've talked about him before. They can do stuff that uh, looks like it's one thing, and then there's another thing, right? So, That's right. Let's say someone can actually do psychic surgery i'm uh, on the fence on that one i'm not saying i believe in it but let's say it's a fact well here we are poor suckers watching two different people doing it one is faking it using tricks illusions mind games magic quote-unquote the other one is actually doing it that's the problem of psychology because in psychology you have the exact same thing you have manifestations that can have different causes and by the way you can have one cause that can lead to different manifestations too so it's very hard when they are uh, dealing with the uh, invisible stuff uh, it's much easier for materialists physicists and stuff right because they have to try to and, and if they are materialists which we have discussed before that they often are so that's the paradigm that's the, w w what they're coming into it with then obviously they will think everything is just Darren Brown and magic now I didn't need that study from Germany because I've worked in psychiatry and I've had uh, uh, experiences which are at par with what you'd said oh. for example there was this one guy he was he was like super heavy like we couldn't even go in there alone we had to be two and he um, this is the proverbial uh, guy in a straitjacket <laughs> in in uh, in uh, soft uh, walls kind of thing and he when someone came in he started to he was just ranting and raving on the floor there was no contact with him but his rants and raves would be about you and he would start to say stuff that he could not possibly know. And I was completely new at this um, uh, section, uh, a night guard. And so he knew nothing about me or anything. And he was starting to ramble about my mother and stuff. And Oh, my God. Yes. And in his... So, so he's, having, he's having this quote-unquote psychotic episode. Yes, exactly. And during the time, he's... Picking up information psychically that he couldn't access exactly. by any other means. That is exactly. That, yes, right. and, and I lost my job because I, not, not my job, but my position there because everybody there was, you, you can't talk about, we, we're supposed to ignore it, right. even if it's correct. And I didn't do that. I, I didn't give away his idea or something, but I talked actually with colleagues I said, wow, this guy, he totally picked up on this and that and this and that. Maybe not everything, but some of the stuff. And, oh, yeah, I had it like that, too. And then, oh, we hear you're talking about blah, blah, blah. That's very unprofessional. I think you should go back to the other world. <laughs> unprofessional. <laughs> That's how they... Unprofessional. Yeah. Truth-telling is unprofessional. Oh, yeah. That's Not treason, man. holding to the, the, the dogma. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so funny when we can spot religious dogma and cultish dogma, and then the scientific dogma somehow just breezes past us with this kind of ordinary normalness that just it defies it defies logic really mm. but you did something very useful for the debate now you gave a specific concrete example you used ted bundy and he tortured people right before he killed them well he he did and, and this is what i guess i'd like to pull you into because i think you were halfway going there but you were 
kind of halfway not going there. Mm. Ted Bundy did what the entity that had entered his subpersonality and was driving him. I'm just holding that there as a placeholder, people. I'm not saying I believe that, but let's follow that line of logic. Mm. Ted Bundy did what the spirit that entered him told him to do. And here's the connection that we're going to have a great conversation about. Why do you suppose that the MK Ultra program was interested in creating split personalities in young children? Mm. Was it possibly because these ego states create a lower barrier of entry for external spirit beings, whether we're going to say those are malevolent beings or, or not. Is mm. that is that now on the table? Ted Bundy is putting it on the table, but just like the psychologist and psychiatrist in the psych ward where you used to work, there's a lot of hand waving go, oh, no, no, don't pay any attention to what he's <laughs> saying. Mm. What, don't pay any attention to what he did. I have an explanation for it. It was all this over here, you know? He just need more meds. Exactly. Right. Exactly. He just didn't have the right meds, buddy. That's the only problem. Yeah. 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 We, we're going to go there. We're going to totally go there. And I'm going to bring some of my uh, perspectives from that world, the world of esoterica, uh, because there are some answers there. Uh, when I say answers, I mean suggestions. Nice. But... I don't want to fully go there yet because I want us to uh, examine this from different aspects, uh, notwithstanding, uh, you know, to cater to our audience so they know we're aware of all these aspects. Otherwise, we could just, you know, you could just book yourself into a Christian funeral or Islamic fundamentalist show and they would totally give you full airtime. <laughs> but I want to start at that end. But gradually uh, let them realize we have no choice. Because, you, yeah, you gave a specific example. So torture and murder, obviously, most people would agree that's evil. And then, of course, you could say, well, but if it's self-defense, blah, 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 protecting family, sure, sure, sure. But just this random uh, attacking someone. And that's also where pedophilia comes in. Because very often when we discuss this subject, pedophilia is a part of it. Well, let's get one thing straightened out right away about the pedophilia and the sex crimes against children thing. And there's a yeah. lot to be said here. One of the people I interviewed for the book is a woman named Annika Lucas, who at six years old was sold into sex slavery, into a cult in Belgium where she lived by her mother. Mm. Yeah. So her mother, and she's a beautiful woman, was a beautiful child, I'm sure she was highly valued in that sense. But at six years old, I mean, we can't really wrap our head around that. And then Annika was really about to be murdered like she had seen other children in the cult murdered. And she was one of the cult members kind of saw, had some kind of moment of clarity and said, I got to rescue this kid and got her out of a situation where she was on the block, like a, the bloody wooden chopping block where she had, was soaked with blood, where she had seen other kids sacrificed. She was there, right? So mm. it's like the purpose of that is to show that, like you said earlier, you know, we can take the quotes off the word evil. We can say, I'm not sure about the definition, but yeah, that is evil. 
but the real problem with that then becomes like we're saying kind of the, uh, on one hand, uh, quantifying evil, kind of understanding evil, but on the other hand, embracing the soul crushing nature of it. Because and I, I hesitate, I double clutch on saying soul because you didn't want to put that word in there. But that's what's coming back to me again. When you're trying to kind of interfere with that person at that level, at that mm. level of somehow destroying their soul, whatever that means, put quotes on that. That's where I think we can start talking about yeah. evil if you're yeah. going to force Absolutely. me into some kind of definition. Absolutely. No, that makes so much sense because uh, it re really fits the real existential definition that uh, we're going to get to later. But um, the interesting thing with these phenomenons is, uh, I, I said you have uh, the fake paranormal phenomenon done by a magician and then you have the real phenomenon done by someone else and that's the same thing here it's the same thing in psychology because you do have people who are not possessed by entities but may display those signs and then uh how do we know that brilliant how do we know that i'm not i'm not well, arguing i'm not saying that's not true you and me don't know that but people working in the field like for example a good friend of mine whom i interviewed actually it's a son of Arlander haraldson oh really he Yeah, yeah, I interviewed him. He's a uh, brilliant international psychiatrist. When he worked in England, he was um, one of the heads of the... And I was amazed that psychiatrists have this thing. But the Royal Society of Psychiatrists or something, they have like interest clubs. And the biggest one was devoted to possession and exorcism. Wow. That's amazing. That is and I'm not talking about how these materialists were treated. No, no, no. These guys are sharing experience and information and taking it seriously. We, you know, within their own brand, within their own uh, professional uh, uh, milieu. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing the worst materialists are not part of it, but I'm also guessing they are forced into such a thing because of their experiences. Right. And I've talked at length with him. Uh, I'm, I'm saying in private, and he gave me examples where it's not. And, and of course, everybody who has worked in psychiatry and psychology knows that, that, you know, there are people who are traumatized and that can be healed not necessarily med medicinal but uh, just by and i know people uh, themselves who have had psychosis where it is a chemical imbalance and we can't blame it on entity but you you know these people normally doesn't well there was this one person she uh, worked at his hospital she went to one psychotic guy to check up on him and she never came back and the police found her head uh, uh, cut off in his apartment mm -hmm. where he was having a full psychotic breakdown. Now, obviously, this guy isn't evil. He's sick. So th these are nuances that are important here because I even think, you know, we have these pedo rings. I, I thought we were discussing this today, uh, so I did some research on it. But never mind. These pedo rings, like, for example, the Belgian cult you mentioned... Oh, I'm pretty I mean, sure many people there, like the guy who saved Annika or what her name is, he felt some kind of remorse deep down. He had some contact with his conscience. He hadn't crushed that because the most of the soul crushing people do to themselves. People who are on that path 
are not just crushing others, they're crushing themselves too. They're dehumanizing themselves. Mm-hmm. But he still had some spark of empathy because empathy is a key here when we're talking about phenomenon as evil. So, so, so he hadn't cut that off yet and he reacted. But I think many of these pedophiles think that they're doing a good thing. They think, well, it's really normal. It's just a culture. It's the moral. And most people think what's good for them is actually good. So they do. Now I'm talking from a human perspective, not like an objective force, but most people will rationalize, will hide their evil behind rationalization. And they will be motivated by what feels good for them. So I think a majority of, for example, pedophiles, I shouldn't even say pedophiles, I should say people who act out pedophily, a majority of them, yeah? But you know, I think in in a little bit that I've looked into this, and again, this is staring into the abyss kind of stuff. And I, I realize that. So, and we're talking about it in this kind of ordinary way, People who've been subjected to this have all sorts of different feelings about that, and they are definitely entitled to their feelings. We're talking about it from this kind of analytical way, which yeah. I, I think we we need to, and that that's we're, we're inviting that conversation. So I don't know how you can get more horrible than that, but at the same time, we can say if we don't talk about it, then that's probably the bigger problem in my mind. But first, first things first, mm-hmm. pedophilia and sex abuse of children is not about sex. At least when we talk about it in terms of evil, mm. I think that's where we would make a distinction. You know, I have in the, in the book an interview with this FBI agent, Bob Hammer, who infiltrated the Nambla group, you know, the, the you saw him on South Park, you know, the man-boy love association kind of, it's a joke, it's a meme. Right, right. But it was really was a group. It was a group of these 50-year-old men who got together and, were plotting how to rape eight-year-old boys down in Mexico, you know, Mm. but it wasn't about sex. It was about power. Same as rape then. It was, it was about, exactly. Mm. It was about violence. And ultimately it was about this soul crushing kind of thing. Now that's not to say that some people, it's, it's, it is about some kind of sexual gratification or whatever. I don't know enough about that stuff to understand it, but I do understand that we can make that distinction and we have to make that distinction if we're talking about evil, because these things get mixed up and then people start going, well, are you against the, the consent laws if a 16-year-old kid sleeps mm, with yeah, a yeah, 15-year-old? Yeah, Is yeah. It, I don't want to have that discussion. That's not a... <laughs> It's not a meaningful discussion. I don't think evil is there any more than if you catch a trout in the stream and you release him is that, you know, I don't want to have that discussion. My point is the opposite. My point is we know what evil is when we see it. And, And the larger point is, does that then suggest that there is a hierarchy to consciousness? Like way I like to say it, a moral imperative. Is there a right and a wrong? It seems like Let's, it suggests that it is, but if it is, that gets really complicated. Yeah, no, let's go there. But I just want to make sure first that uh, I, I know where you are, because in my view, <clears throat> evil is extremely rare. That's my point. In 99 cases of 100, <clears throat> it's not really evil that's operating. 
And let's do that. Let's do that study. And my point is, let's do that study because <laughs> until we do the study, double blind across, you yeah. know, fourteen different labs around the world, we don't know. What if the number turns out to be well? Okay, then you 80, give me eighty percent, ninety percent. What if the person that cut off that head was just like? But, but, but what if the person? No, no, we'll who, do that study here and now. Okay. Yeah. So, so I ask you. That, hold give on, me. Hold on. What if that, what if yeah. that study? What if that severed head that you were talking about yeah. was a Ted Bundy kind of entity situation? A, a friend of mine and a guy who I, I really think is doing some great work at Deep State Consciousness podcast. His name is Richard Cox. He did this interview with this other psychologist. His name is Jerry Mazinski. And Jerry worked in the prison system for 20 years. And he worked in the mental health mm. section of the prison system where he had people that came in with psychosis, diagnosed as schizophrenia. And these people came in and what do they report? What, is, what do those people report? I hear voices, right? Yeah. So as you so perfectly put before, the solution is, well, take these meds. Let's see if we can make those voices go away. But these patients, as they routinely report, medication wasn't really making the voices go away. And in mm. fact, it was kind of messing up the whole thing. Jerry came to understand, it's a long story. He came to understand that just like the Ted Bundy situation, that maybe these voices were for lack of a better term, real in some sense mm. and were the man and were the intrusion of some spirit entities somehow into the ego states of this person. When he used that model, he was able to be much more effective with his patients. And I would suggest that that is because the model is real, that most mm. of the time, a good percentage of the time, that is what's happening. Yeah. Uh, you should really listen to my show with uh, uh, Dr. Haraldor. It's called Spirituality versus Insanity. Oh, great. Uh, and we're defining the fine line. Now... Let's do that to test then. So you, you think of the five worst things you've experienced in your life. It doesn't have to be something you felt on your body. You can have watched it. You can have heard about it. It can happen in your neighborhood, in your family, whatever. And then tell me in how many, or, or we should really say 10 cases, but we don't have time for you to think that much. But let's say five cases. How many of those involved evil? I'm sure if there was 10 cases, at least one of them was evil. In your definition of evil. Yeah, I, I don't know, because like you keep trying to, to pin me down on this and I don't mind that. I, I don't think that's what I I'm promise we're going to move on. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't I don't mind that. That's not really uh, the point of the book. But I, I, as long as you're trying to pin me down, let me answer. In my uh, personal understanding of evil, I give myself and other people a lot of leeway, right. a ton of leeway in terms Good. of, you know, what isn't evil evil i mean i don't even want to go in and list this stuff but i you know no, no. but the, the, internally you have, you, to could. Get, you have to get to that soul crushing level right that, that i think until you're really talking about evil that's a great qualifier because most people will hear about it or agree about it and then go out and burn those people they think are evil and ironically in doing so they act out evil you see what i mean Absolutely. yes and, and that's the problem. You see that in the conspiracy field too. They jump to, because one thing is an actual, real, criminal, collusion, conspiracy, classical 
conspiracy to commit whatever horrible things, then everything is it. There's no nuance. And now let's, you know, attack uh, anything we think is, is that. So you see that in, in, in all phenomenons because people uh, tend to be really have huge cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is nothing else than being trapped in the polarity game. Uh, for example, between good evil, I, I like. I mean, no, that's a perfect point. I mean, I don't yeah. know if you want to launch there, but you know, is Bill Gates evil? Bill Gates is in the news <laughs> so much yeah. right now. Is Bill Gates evil? Or the other place we could go that I hope we will go is we were talking a little bit about uh, Peter Lavenda versus your just outstanding interview you did with George Webb, you know, is Peter Lavenda evil and George Webb not evil? And then what about Gloria Steinem? I'd love to talk to her life about her lifetime CIA player. Who's now in this feature series that you can stream on Hulu or whatever. Mm -hmm. Is that evil because she was really working for the CIA the whole Whole time and was putting on this front that she was somehow working on behalf of women, which is just a total fiction. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think we can talk about that, but I don't think any one of those people are necessarily evil from what I've, what from the choices that they've made, because we're all making all these choices that are maybe not the best choices. Yeah, but, but here I have to arrest you, my friend, because if evil is an objective force, then everybody has, and, and we exist in a world with two objective forces that could be called good on the one hand and evil on the other, then we are all somewhere at the specter. Meaning, maybe we have like, if you have like 1% evil in you, it's probably not going to manifest in any significant way, maybe in some weird fantasy someday, or you lose it one day and that 1% takes over, but usually you won't see it. So I, I think if it's a force, we have to think like that because it means that we all, Peter Lemanda is evil, you are evil, everyone is evil to some extent. If it's a force out there, it's very easy to blame the evil spirits, right? Or the aliens or whatever. Right. We have no partaking in this. But if you look at how evil manifests in the world, it's only through human beings. Not even animals are able to manifest evil. Only humans being are able to manifest evil. And then you have some extreme cases where they're not conscious of what they're doing. They're just bots. Like the guy in my ward or, or, or the Ted Bundy guy. But that's, that's like what one of a million. Much more evil is done where we rationalize and try to tell our own souls that it's okay or it's because of this or because, or because they are evil or whatever, right? I that's get it. how evil really manifests in the world. Not the Ted Bundys. Those are the exceptions. And they are great in order to display and tear the mask off to see, 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 there is something extreme here. There's a source here. There's something objective here. Sure, it works for that, but it doesn't work in everyday life. And if evil is a real thing, I'm not saying it is, but if it is, damn, man, we can't just sit here and have like uh, orgies of hypothetics. Then we have to fight it. 
it's an imperative for everyone to do something about it. And I'm not talking about burning down your neighbor's house because he's evil. I'm talking about within yourself. Mm. Because you, who are you uh, most influencing in the world? Yourself. And of course, you can extend it, your family, your community. But as long as people don't deal with it in themselves, evil is allowed to manifest. And again, it's very vague because... Oh, What's, no, it's not. It's not vague. I mean, I think you, you covered the world there. I think that that's there's so much awesomeness in that that we pull apart and talk for hours on. And this is obviously something that people have spent thousands and thousands yeah. of years writing about and talking about. A couple points I'd raise suggest. What if the two forces are not good and evil as much as they are good and and darkness. So darkness being a force, think of it like gravity. It just is. You can't say anything. You can't put any attachment to it. It's just a force. And then what if evil is our attraction to that darkness, which we all feel at different points at different times. And what if that attraction to the darkness is really a manifestation of a blockage of the goodness, right? So right. the goodness comes through and no, like, no, we're talking. Yeah. So the goodness comes through and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But when you see your girl sitting in the car with that freaking guy who you hate and they're <laughs> going at it, man, it's hard to keep the light shining through and just <laughs> thinking good thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. So you go to the darkness and that becomes some evil thoughts that start generating. Now, it doesn't matter if the next day you figured out that wasn't really your girl. <laughs> it was just <laughs> someone who looked like your girl. Right. You've already experienced that connection to that dark feeling and that's a tiny little seed of evil. I don't want to make any big deal of it. And I don't want no, to say no, that's right. Outstanding point, man. Yeah. I don't want to say that's right. I just want to say, throw that out there as a possible understanding of how this stuff might work and our job to go and figure this stuff out and how completely inept we are of even deconstructing that sentence and, and that little th rant there and seeing if it makes any sense at all. We have no means of doing that and we're all okay. With it. Well, I guess we could never understand that scientifically or logically. Of course we could. Of course we mm. could try and pull that apart just like they did with the uh, DID, the dissociative identity disorder, and the person with the ego state that made them blind. Yes, we can get a lot closer to finding some kind of real data about that. Uh, do you know Buddha's take on this? I know so, there are so many different ones, right? Well, but he has an uh, explanation for evil. He says the root of all evil is ignorance right but Confusion. here but, but stop here uh, we have to understand what he means he, he he puts ignorance up as the opposite of illumination on the one hand you can be enlightened that means you're in full fusion with the source of light life what we would call good because we experience a flow with it because we are of it and then ignorance would be, the degree of ignorance would be the uh, equivalent to the degree of how removed you are from that source. 
So if you're like uh, 99% removed from it, you only have 1% goodness in you. <laughs> if it's even possible to make those calculations, then yeah, you would be a pretty evil guy. But again, I don't think there's many people like that uh, because it's not in our nature. Right. To, and, and then we have to discuss, you know, some people think uh, we are born neutral and it's all environment, all culture. Some people think we're born good. Some people actually think we're born evil. Uh, and, and some people think we're born a mix and, and we get a mix. So, so that's a question too. But let's say now, let's, let's go, let's take a spiritual, you know, I'm a Greco-Egyptian fetishist, right? Awesome. Yeah. So my approach to it is kind of like what you said, only it's in another language. I would say that evil darkness is not a force. It's the opposite. The force permeating existence is the light in totally uh, agree yeah. i love the way you put so, that so so but before the light there is a nothingness so you have somethingness filling the void of nothingness now the void is evil meaning that you have two directions you can flow you can flow with the light or you can flow away from the light which would be against emptiness negation and that's what we identify uh, to make it practical and not just philosophical. It's what we would call egotism. It's when you go into the microcosmos, you zoom into the details of existence. It's not us. It's not everything. It's me. It's this. It's that. Notice one thing. Materialism is a part of that energy in this perspective, mm -hmm. because it's about going into microcosmos, the details, the nuts and bolts of stuff. The other force is an identification with all and everything, which is just as hard, actually. <laughs> it is uh, about uh, the absolute. And that's a macrocosmic perspective. Then you're uh, taking a, like a godhood, as Hermes Trismegistus said, you're identifying with the one, the all. Nice. So if those two extremes are present in our life, we don't even have to know about it or discuss it philosophically or spiritually. We do it in real life, in our everyday life. So to what degree am I pushing my own existence out there on expense of other parts of myself, meaning you and whoever else I'm around? Or to what degree do I help the wholeness, you know, try to make as much harmony as possible. That's basically the ancient's uh, view on this. And so they would say that, yes, there could be intelligences out there who work in the grand scheme of things. And, uh, you know, the... Let me throw, let me yeah. throw a curveball. Sure. I, I love that. I love where you're going with all that. And you're adding so much to my understanding or attempt to try and grapple this but i love throwing curveballs counter examples you know the tagline for the show skeptico is inquiry to perpetuate doubt mm. so pardon me if i'm always trying to be the gadfly the doubter in this <laughs> so throw et into the equation the right. extraterrestrial consciousness that by all accounts that I can tell, seems to be manifesting consciousness into these other forms that have different characteristics relative to consciousness, relative to moving in and out of some of these realms. And we can go into, if we need to, and establish the reality of that with 
of just myriad of first person accounts, the surveys that have been yeah. done and all the rest of that. But that I think pulls us out of this very species centric idea we have about how all this might work. And the other thing that pulls us out of that is that we are at the cusp technology wise, genetics wise, genetics engineering wise, is understanding that our definition of a human species and consciousness is on the edge of changing forever, whether that's good or bad, we can have a different discussion on. But I think we need to kind of pull out of this narrow understanding we have of, you know, consciousness as it manifests just in our little species. Fair enough. But let me ask you a question. If there was an anthill outside your kitchen, outside your house, and that anthill had like a highway to where you stash your honeys and sugars and stuff, and your wife were going insane. Would you forcefully remove the anthill? Um, sure, but oh, okay. where I thought you were going to go, where I thought you were going to go is, isn't it interesting that we talk about an anthill rather than an ant? We don't understand consciousness in an ant. We understand consciousness as part of a hive no, no. collective consciousness. Yeah, yeah, right. But you, you were just uh, voluntary now to be that evil alien who... No, because remember, I have a very broad definition of evil. That's not, that's not evil. Uh, moving... Well, for the ants, you're, it's totally evil. You're, you're crushing their existence. No, it's... it's well, no, but you, you introduced aliens. Remember, remember, I said that it was about soul crushing. Yeah. So crushing someone's existence, extinguish, extinguishing someone's existence. We all get that that can't be considered evil in the same way that we're talking about. Okay, fair enough. All these other things. Good Otherwise, we wind up with all sorts of problems of, you know, somebody's breaking into your house and <laughs> attack you. You know, you have... Self-defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you, you weren't torturing the poor ants. So, so, so fair enough. So, I had no uh, intent to, I had no intent to crush. No. Again, we have to, we have to introduce soul. Remember, you didn't want to see at the beginning, you kind of drove a stake in the ground and said, we can't define soul. We can't define God. Well, we're defining both of them. We're saying soul is some kind of permanent existence deep within you that contains something. And we're saying God is this hierarchy of consciousness, this moral imperative. Okay, we can work with so that. So when you're interfering with that, then we're talking about evil. Yep. Otherwise, okay. we're talking about just trying to figure out what to do. Okay, okay but, but but do the aliens display any of you know, your e definition of evil behavior? Or do they more display the guy who's removing the until? Sure, because there's, there's plenty of accounts of people that have been sexually violated in very soul crushing ways <laughs> Anal by <probe>. aliens <laughs> that, that it seemed to be their intent to do that. And then there's other times when they seem incredibly dispassionate and they're just carrying out their job. So I, I thought the sexual stuff was to, to manufacture humans or something. It doesn't sound like they take pleasure uh, there's, in it. Have, have you seen, there's an excellent documentary called Extraordinary the Seeding. And I have to say, no. the guy did a fantastic job with it and has some in-depth in interviews with these survivors. There's no other way to say it. Okay. And so you can just go by their account of, you know, lifelong abduction. And a lot of times it runs in families and it, it, it creates all the problems. It, it 
highlights all the problems that you're talking about. You know, I mean, if you're doing these ongoing experiments, is that by its nature evil? No, but, you know, is there a line that's being crossed there that does suggest yeah. an evil? I don't know. But again, see, we're having this conversation. You know, the answer to that is if the universe has some kind of ethics woven into its fabric, yes. Exactly. Then... And that's the question, right? But uh, you introduced aliens, and I think that doesn't work as much as another thing you could have introduced, because uh, first off, in most cases, I think the aliens uh, in this uh, part of the uh, alienology is really not material beings, but non-material beings. And that brings us to what you could have introduced, namely the groundwork they've done in research for death, where people see hell and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, in particular, like the near-death experience hell accounts, yes. I think are incredibly interesting. And I have a chapter in my book, I have an interview with a guy named David Sunfeld, who's really terrific guy and researched more or less on his own, but has come in contact with virtually all the leading near-death experience researchers. And this question of hell comes up. And it's it's a topic I've covered on Skeptico as well. You know, I, I had this interview with this one guy I thought was really interesting. His name's Ian McCormick. He has this extraordinary near-death experience. I mean, he is dead. He's in like this island in the Indian Ocean, this little resort island, and he's stung by these jellyfish, and one sting will kill you. And he had seven, and he comes in, and they pronounce him dead. And he's in the morgue of their little island hospital for like seven hours. You know, he's dead, <laughs> dead, dead. <laughs> and he has this incredible journey, and that journey – brings him in contact with, hold on, put the quote marks out here, Jesus. Hmm. And he comes back and Ian comes on the show and says, hey, it's all about Jesus. All these near-death experiences we're talking about, they're about Jesus. And in fact, if you don't see Jesus in your near-death experience, then I wonder if you really did have a near-death experience or if you had some <laughs> other kind of experience, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And I say, yeah, but Ian, that's not what the data says. The data that's been collected and carefully cataloged by these leading scientists, highly respected doctors, suggests that the vast majority of people— understand that the Jesus motif as part of their near-death experience was one that was more or less crafted for them by them in some kind of co-creation thing, but didn't have a literal reality. Ian was buying none of that. Ian continues to march through all these Christian churches around the country, around the world, and tell people that near-death experience confirms his Christian-only kind of understanding of how the world works. So hell, as it fits into, you know, anyone's understanding, because that's when the hell comes in, right? It's mm. like, I saw Jesus, and then he threw me down to hell for a while, and then he pulled me back. We have to kind of get to to what extent we are co-creating that reality that is beyond space and time and in this space where our consciousness is no longer involved. And if there's any holdarounds to this show that are going to say, well, near-death experience means near-death. That's not dead. They're not dead. That's just incorrect. I mean, the best source we could go to that, I think, would be Sam Parnia, who's a doctor at 
New York, Stony Brook, formerly at Cornell, and recognized as one of the leading resuscitation experts in the world. So a guy who's more or less his day job is bringing people back from death. And he will tell you, these are cases of death. By every means we've ever had medically of defining death, these quote, near-death experiences should be called death experiences mm. because we have no model for how their brain could be functioning in the way that they're describing. So I don't know. Does that launch us into a conversation about hell? Well, but, but if there is such an objective thing, then obviously there are minions. You know, one entity can't run that whole show alone. <laughs> So there would be workers. So I would ask you, if you're a demon and you're doing your work job, are you then evil? Well, you know, that's a – so again, I always beg off in these questions and say, okay, let's start. Let's start there. Let's start there as a question, but let's make it a serious question and let's see how we would stack the data, you know, one way or another to try and understand that. And I think we're a million miles away from that. But here would be my hunch mm -hmm. is that the only way you would get to that demonic state is as something akin to what you described in the Buddhist model where you've developed either in this world or in some world beyond this world an affinity towards the darkness and a blockage of the light. Mm. Now, what seems to make sense to me from a logical, philosophical standpoint is that you're never really blocked from the light. It's just a limitation. Not a, not a human being, no. Or, no. Or, or even my speculation, my hunch would be that any entity by virtue of the fact that it continues to be conscious, mm. is connected to the light. No matter how much, like you use the term, 99% blocked from the light. I'm mm. like, yeah, okay, what if it's 99.999999? Mm, you know, mm, 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 it still has a connection, some connection with the light, or it's no longer conscious. So it's really, the whole thing is a is a addition by subtraction exercise. And again, I'm not, you know, saying that this is the answer or anything like that. I'm just saying as a working model, if we were to start to try and put them some things into place, maybe our blockages are what we're really talking about here. And maybe the removing of those blockages is the ascension that we're really looking for in the Buddhist sense that you're talking about. Okay, but the ultimate objectivization would be to suggest that what if we're just on different teams because if, to that demon you will be evil and if you tempted him or it to act upon its one percent of good that would be akin to you know ted bundy being <laughs> driven over to the other side yeah. if you if you're just doing what you're meant to do if you're working for the man <laughs> we can't really say it's even if it has a percent of the light and could get there it's just doing its job which is a it's it's a course for many a jokes and comedies and stuff like that because it, it turns everything on its head. But this is you know within a Christian paradigm. I will introduce another interesting aspect that kind of. But can we can we hold yeah. on right there because yeah. I think it's a super interesting point. And getting back to this guy, Doctor Ted Zinj 
Ted Zinzer, this clinical psychologist who just was working with patients. I mean, he wasn't, he didn't have some kind of Christian agenda or Buddhist agenda or, you know, driving towards some ideology. He was just, he had been working with patients. He continued to work with patients. He just had the benefit of somebody saying, hey, look over here, probe this, consider this. Hmm. And he had kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting take on that. Mm-hmm. And it's that when we look at there, see now I lost my train of thought, but I'll get it. Yeah, evil is a negation of the light, the emptiness in Oh, Tom Zinzer. So 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 he said it, it was back to the point of what he said when, when we were saying the demon part. Right. And whether whether it's the demon's job. Right. And you know, whether the demon has a job. And I, I think that um, um, I'm just going to have to move on. I can't remember it now. I'll just... But you, you, you obviously, you, you, one of the people in your book is Miguel Corner, and he must have talked to you about the archons, right? Yes, and the Gnostic understanding yeah. of it. What are your thoughts on the Gnostic understanding, uh, its overlay, which again, that's what we're, we're working towards here, Al, which I'd so appreciate about this conversation, right? So we're saying, okay, here's a spiritualist kind of perspective. Here's a Buddhist perspective. Here's a Christian perspective. Yeah. Here's a Gnostic perspective. Do you, do you appreciate the Gnostic? Does that attract you? Yeah, they're all puzzle pieces. Uh, I wouldn't say there is a Gnostic perspective. There's many Gnostic perspectives, but yeah, the Archon's thing is relevant here, but I was going to introduce something akin to the Archon from Esoterica, but it's not exactly the same. It's a kind of a different approach from the Archon. It may in fact be in collision with it too, but both of them are excellent uh, possibilities. So you know the Archon point, which is kind of, yeah, I'm working for the it's my job to create problems for humankind, <laughs> kind of. Exactly. Yeah, so that's that. That's the uh, agents in Matrix. But you have another perspective that complicates it, especially when you have this fool who, who runs around talking about Jesus that he met in his own NDE. And that's the egregore. Have you heard that um, word before? Of course, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I said earlier today, I said that the mind is super complicated and we don't understand half of it. And if we indeed are created in the image of God, it means that the creator created small creators, meaning we have the ability to create huge manifestations that we're not aware of. And that's probably one big reason to keep us ignorant, locked down in matter, looking at our own navel, because then we can use our consciousness to influence. But those who know can kind of use our consciousness remotely. Exactly. But that's not my point. My point is egregore. So egregore is an aspect of the mind, and that's that we create egregores. Uh, for example, if a group of people come together uh, and work regularly around the same idea, they will create an egregore. A family can have an egregore too, but these egregores are very short-lived and not very powerful. Now, in magical groups, in spiritual groups, in esoteric groups, in initiatory groups, you will find very powerful egregores. And uh, the ultimate egregore is the gods. So if nobody is around anymore, here where I live, believing in Odin and Thor and Frey and all that, they are all but vanished. 
something is lingering on still and can be reignited if you have like a renaissance of oh now we believe again in the old religion now we start doing rituals with meditations uh, integrated into our language work with it in forces blah 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 okay cool and then that energy exactly grows again now take a, a chap like jesus you probably educated enough to know that the Jesus that they are working, first of that wasn't his name, of course, Yuheshwa Bimariam or whatever, but, you know, the figure that they're worshipping as Jesus today is as far away from the original as it's possible to get. Absolutely. Yeah, because we do know a lot about the historical Jesus and has nothing to do with, in, in fact, the religion worshipping Jesus hijacked the religion from Jesus' own brother. <laughs> Jacob or James, who was after Jesus disappeared, he was uh, heading the first Christian congregations, and they were enemies with those people who uh, started the modern Christian religion. They called uh, Paulus Paul. You call him? They call him Paul the liar, <laughs> for example. Exactly. So, so here's my point: the Jesus we have today, people still meet him all the time. Oh, we, I, I just converted. Oh, I had, uh, I was born again. Oh, I met Jesus. What they're really meeting is the egregore that they themselves are built up. Uh. So you can get a perversion of a religion like Islam, for example. It was unheard of. What people think about Islam today was unheard of 250 years ago and back. It started, all started in uh, around 1850. And given enough support, first from British colonialists, then from Nazis, then from American CIA. Voila, you have created a new religion, an hysterical, pretty evil, fundamentalistic Salafi, Wahhabi thing. And so a new egregore is born, this time very poisonous. Same happened with uh, Christianity. So they're hijacking all these liberation figures that create original religions to try to liberate us. Those same people or, or forces maybe who keeps us stuck to a navel or, or they're doing it on all areas, politics, religion, you name it, in your everyday life. So these egregores are very powerful and even UFOs can be manifestations of these egregores. It's very interesting how well, technical. It is. No, I, I, I think that's I think that's brilliantly important and I love the way you can kind of fluidly go from the highest level down to the lowest level. When you say the creator created creators, mm -hmm. I think that's beautifully succinct. I think your example with Jesus is spot on. And I love the, the story about Jesus and Christ consciousness, which is what I always talk to Christians about. I say, so you're talking about Christ consciousness. And they go, no, no, I'm talking about <laughs> Jesus. And I say, well, where did you encounter Jesus? Well, I encountered Jesus in my near-death experience. I encountered Jesus. In, so you encountered Jesus in consciousness. Mm. So your experience with Christ was in consciousness. So it is a Christ consciousness experience. And then, but your your point is so super well taken. I and I think right if the area where you live, the village, the group started together, and Thor became you know, this central figure, I have no doubt that you would co-create that reality. And the, the one other one that I think you could throw into the mix that's particularly relevant to this conversation we're having is Satan, right? Yeah, exactly. I was going there. 
Good, good. Because, you know, I, one of the things I have in the book is a little snippet from an interview. You know, you mentioned Miguel Connor. Fantastic work. I mean, I, I love Miguel and I've had him on the show and he's had me on his show over at Aon Byte Gnostic Radio. But I leaned on Miguel in talking about the historical Satan because he had done an interview with the very excellent religious scholar, Richard Smoley. Mm. You know, he's just a super smart guy. He wrote the book, Why God Became God. And what he traces, he says, you go back to the pre-Torah text. You go back to the oldest Judaic, Judaic text, and there's no Satan. Mm. So they're telling the stories of the king and the this and that. There's no Satan. Mm. And then you forward a few hundred years and Zoroaster comes in and he creates this duality and you have these competing religions and you, they, they encounter these other competing religions. And all of a sudden, Satan pops up in their stories. As that's this, correct. He's right. As this figure that's to be opposed. Well, what are you to make of that? And, and where you're threading the needle, which I think is, is just where we need to go, because it's the only place we can go, is not to say, oh, okay, like the materialists do, you know, like the, just ignorance in academia. Hmm. Say, oh, well, that shows there's no Satan. It's like, no, that doesn't mean that there's no Satan. It means that historically at that time there wasn't a Satan. Then it means that historically Satan was written into their story. And then from your standpoint of an egregoria, I'm telling you, if you go on Netflix and you look at all the films, movies, mm. TV series that embody Satan and embody that spirit, I'm taking what you're saying and, and just – adding to it, I think, and saying, of course, there is now some collective consciousness. I don't know what that means, but there's some kind of egregoria collective consciousness around Satan and around the devil. That would be the natural conclusion I would make. It's just, you got to separate that out from the historical Jesus or the historical Satan. It all just becomes much more difficult to pin down. Yeah, but, but the question you should ask is, okay, okay, so this dualistic Satan nonsense is pretty new, but did all the ancient religions, because if you go far back enough, not only are all the pagan religions in the world similar, they may even have a root source, but be that as it may, you should ask, okay, so did they have a concept for evil? even if they didn't. Uh, I'm with you on that, right? Al. I mean, so let me, let me make sure I'm clear. I, I think what we're talking about here is drawing a distinction away from this narrowly defined dogma that's been passed on to us that the only way to understand evil is through this figure called Satan. And I'm saying that doesn't hold up, and it doesn't hold up historically as well as in these other ways. So, yeah, is there this force out there? No yeah, doubt. Yeah, but the reason we should ask it is pretty practical, actually, because if you buy into the Gregora concept, then um, Satan certainly exists now. Uh, when it's getting feeded. But the point is, the ancients also operated with an egregore concept. And their answer would be uh, that, yes, there would be a concept of evil, but the problem is the solution they had was because the whole egregore thing is that we radiate things and we externalize things and we 
you know, like the split personalities. Yeah. That's the ultimate goal to get away from the light. Because if we uh, split us, Pythagoras said the same thing. He didn't say that everybody was like this psychopathological person you mentioned, but to some degree, we are all split. Gurdjieff said the same. Uh, you're, I would uh, agree. Yeah, your I now is different that from is the your... nature. That seems to be the way that consciousness manifests itself in this state that we're in, in this ego state. Yeah, we're constantly splitting. I agree with that. Even if it's not... Right. Yeah. So they said the solution was to try to become whole. And that meant that you had to integrate even the darkness into your being. It would be absorbed by the light. You couldn't fight it. You couldn't hate it because ironically you were doing its work. That's our big banishment because that's what we're doing in our eagerness to fight evil. So they said it's, it's, it's kind of the same in the shamans. They talked about an underworld and a higher world, but that didn't mean Helen or heaven. No, no, you had to start in the underworld and then you had to go past the work you had to do there before you could ascend to the overworld. But they wouldn't dream of calling it evil. Not even the ancient Greeks, when they talked about Hades, you remember Orpheus went to Hades uh, to get his love back uh, and bargained with uh, many Hades, figures. Hades, we say it. In Hades, the Hades, yes. So so it wasn't like Satan, but the, the point is they realized it was a part of existence. And if we did not integrate it, what would happen? We would uh, disown it or ignorance as Buddha say and it would have a life of its own and that's quite the only way we can battle it is to put a spotlight on it because we know how darkness and light works in physics but we do not take the same lessons and transfer them to consciousness and so we, what we are doing here is that we are uh, running around extinguishing lights metaphorically speaking, in order to fight for the light. Yeah. And that's the ultimate, that, that's the devil's last laugh, kind of. Everybody thinks the devil will come with horns and tail. <laughs> Not at all. We all know what the gateway to hell is, uh, is made of, right? <laughs> Good intentions. Well, I, I think you're really on to something. I totally agree with you philosophically. I wish we could get there in a pre-scientific way. And again, that's what I'm advocating. Okay. But what I hear you saying is that it is about integration and it's about becoming whole. It's about, you know, Jung talked about the shadow and we're all kind of yeah. understanding and comfortable with that. I think the part that we're also introducing, but then we're kind of bouncing back around is that what if the mechanics of this, what if the physics of this suggested that when you separate, when you do that disassociation that we all do because you're an eight-year-old kid and you're scared of the dark and you mm. make up this guy who's big and strong inside of you and isn't afraid and it's just a natural thing to do and we all did it. But what if that disassociation makes you more susceptible to contact slash interference with some entity that is outside of you. And I think that's like, what if that's the technology involved? And that mm. would lead us back to, you know, this discussion of 
again, it's crazy, man, but you were so there where we could have this. What if that's what MK Ultra was about? Exactly. What if that's what getting Whitley Strieber into some little crazy program when he's eight years old and putting him in a little cage and traumatizing him was to make these kids split so that then they could penetrate that psyche in a way and do that. I mean, what if they were trying to weaponize this kind of thing? And I don't have to go there. That's not like critical to my understanding of it by any means. But it's interesting when the pieces start fitting into place in a way that we didn't anticipate because we were looking, you know, totally down the wrong path of, oh, well, it's all just in your biology, just give you more meds kind of thing. Or it's all all a question of, uh, you know, it's God and Satan. That's also a look over here, not there. Exactly, right. And then, you know, where we could even go with that, which I don't know if it's appropriate because you can only stretch people so far, the pre-life contracts that some people claim they make – that before this life, I entered into this life and I agreed to participate as kind of a, either as a perpetrator or... <laughs> no, that's a super new age concept, man. <laughs> I, well, it, it is a... Karma, super, yes, we can talk karma. That's it, the contract. <laughs> it is. But, you know, here's the problem. Here's the problem that you get with that from both sides. Yeah. So on one hand, you have the problem as you're alluding to, that it just sounds very new agey and you can kind of throw anything in there and make it all make sense. But the other problem with it is if you trace back the clinical work and how it's done and how it's documented, you have a problem moving away from it. So this is hypnotherapy, right? And Mm. again, I was referencing Tom Zinzer, the doctor who does hypnotherapy, but hypnotherapy is common, right? You can get it paid for by your medical insurance to go to the dentist and instead of taking um, an injection, you can get hypnotherapy to bypass the pain. And we understand like i was talking about with the disassociative identity you know if you could if your brain can make you blind your brain can certainly shut off your pain so if we enter if we let that camel's nose into the tent that is hypnotherapy regression accessing different parts of the brain then what do we do when that person is able to recall things all the way back to when they were two years old And we're able to verify that, yeah, that really did happen when they were two years old. And they did have that spider crawling on their face and the mommy freaked out and started batting the spider and all the rest of that. (laughs) And after that, little Johnny had this fear of spiders. But it was only when the hypnotherapist was able to take them back to that memory that was not in their conscious framework that they were able to recall that that was it. And then Johnny goes back to his mom and says, well, yeah, that did happen. I was just frightened as anything. And they go, oh, my God. And now it's resolved. And Johnny's no longer afraid of spiders. You know where I'm going with the story, Al. <laughs> so then Johnny goes back for another session with the hypnotherapist. And he goes, okay, take me back. Well, take me back further. Take me back further. And the next thing you know, he's on some strange battlefield with a sword in his hand, fighting hand-to-hand combat. Hmm. And you're like, 
well, wait a minute. What, what happened? <laughs> I was comfortable with the idea that he was accessing memories when he was two years old that were no longer available. Now I'm going to draw a line in the sand and say, oh, no, he can't access any other memories. These other memories he's having can't possibly be real, even if I can verify those in some ways, as has been done in like not in past. Yeah, life. but what does this have to do with soul contract? That, that's kind of what I was scoffing at, not the idea of reincarnation. How would it? Well, here's the point. Like, again, it's the camel nose in the tent. If you're going to let that in, if you're going to let the first part in, that I can recover that memory when I'm two years old, then you're going to have a trouble excluding the memory of my past life, particularly when you look at the past life research as done at, like, university. No, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, then, well, then, you're, you're, then you're sunk. Because what they will tell you as part of that recollection is that they made a contract in this life, that that was part of. So you're going to have to tear apart that story now mm. and you're going to have to say, well, I accept this. I accept this. But this part I'm going to yeah. write out of the story because I don't like it. <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, what did the devil sign it in blood or something? <laughs> the contract? No, I'm kidding. Now that. That, hold on. Yeah. I got, I'm sorry to jump in there again. <laughs> yeah. But this is the point that I forgot about in the first oh, session that I right. want to talk about. Yeah. Because it's one of, it relates directly back to this point that we're talking about, that we're bantering back and forth about the light, our relationship to the light, yeah. and the 99% blockage. One of the kind of practical points that came out of Zinzer's work, and again, he's a practical clinician. And we should have that discussion too, because when you brought up psychology and psychiatry and how so many of these Erlinson is, you know, kind of advanced and this, we're talking about people who do clinical psychology work are years ahead, light years ahead of the academic psychology and psychiatry people. Yeah. They're stuck in this narrow ivory tower. I can only believe certain things. The clinicians, the feet on the ground, working with patient stuff, not all of them, but many of them you'll see where they'll just have to go, well, I just have to jump. I have to leave the dock because that ship just doesn't work anymore. So back to the contracts thing. Here's what Zinzer discovered is that in this mode of deception, which is part of the motif of the evil darkness kind of thing is deception. It doesn't matter what I do. I can do or say anything to advance my goal. Do what thou wilt kind of morality is this idea that you have a contract, you have a bargain, you have a, a, a you've sold your soul to the devil as it's portrayed in movies. Mm -hmm. What Zinzer's work says is that that is never enforceable. All such contracts are null and void by virtue of the fact that there is only the light and you are the one blocking the light. So the Jungian shadow thing, there is no such thing as a contract for your soul. There is no such thing as a contract. Exactly. exactly. The, the word contract is disgusting anyway. It's so modern. I mean, uh, what, do you have bureaucrats? Do you have law professors in the cosmos who's keeping track? No, but... Um, no, I hear you on that one. It's it's a good point. Uh, I would call it karma, basically, and it's all about liberating yourself from the wheel. Um, I want to introduce a new layer to this, which is kind of something you're touching now, whether you're aware of it or not. 
Go ahead, my man. And that's the proverbial child sacrifice. But before we go there, actually, I have one uh, more question. Okay. You talked, you said something very significant. I'm not even sure you're aware why or how much it's significant, but you mentioned that children, when they're battling their fears, they uh, have different strategies to handle it. Like you said, invoking the invisible friend. The reason it matters, by the way, is because um, if you study human evolution all the way from the embryo, actually, you can tell you a lot about archaic man, but to understand the consciousness of a past, we should uh, study uh, the way we are. Like, I'm sure if we survive thousands of years down the road, they will do the same. They will study a human being and the phases it goes through. And there will be one phase, probably in a teenage, where they can identify our zeitgeist today. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So if you want to understand... These things, it's very important to study how children, what they experience and how they deal with it. So my last question is, how did you deal with the proverbial monster under the bed or the demons in the shadows of darkness in night? Well, I think it's, it's you know, important to understand that there's a continuum there because I, I, like when I talk to, we're talking about Tom Zinzer, you know, and I was mentioning this point to him, like, isn't this a continuum? Because I can definitely identify with different ego states that I've created along the way, you know? Mm. And he goes, absolutely. And this and this is a point you made too, right? It's like, of course, we all have these different ego states. But then we can go to the Ted Bundy and he'll tell you about his ego state and he'll tell you how it began to manifest more and more and more and how it became out of control. I don't understand that process. I believe from what I've come to understand that that process does happen. For me, it wasn't really a problem. I think I was more in the range of where most of us fall, where these different ego states and the monster under the, you know, under the bed was problematic for me, but I was able to kind of handle it. And then as a grown up able to integrate it in and it didn't become yeah, but how did you handle it because it tells us so much about our not the nurture character not the culture character but the default in born well, you, you know i i actually remember uh the one of the like i was i've always been a big self-help guy in terms of just reading and learning was always i know you're the same you're just consumer of all this stuff <laughs> and for me I remember reading a book by this American kind of pop psychologist named uh, Jess Lair. And uh, what I remember about him, he was the first person that kind of invited you to actually identify those different parts of yourself and communicate with those parts of yourself. Mm. And at the time, I didn't have this deeper esoteric understanding of it. I was taking it really from a pop psychology standpoint Mm -hmm. of just, okay, what would it mean to talk to that part? But I found it to be incredibly powerful. I found it to be incredibly liberating. And that's why I think, again, as we were both saying, you know, the light shines. You don't need the time-tested 10,000-year, you know, technique to do it. You need free will, wisdom, discernment. And, you know, a couple of guideposts here and there, and you can get 
a lot further than you think. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've been working as a meditation coach for many years. So those techniques, yes, pop psychology, it has its place. Um, I suppose I didn't manage to squeeze out of you what I was going for, but I, I, I can offer my own experience. You understand what I meant? Sure. Uh, when I, I think I was five, I don't know how old I was. I was little. I was lying. Uh, this was a period. Uh, I was terrified in the dark. I was always very sensitive, so I, I must have picked up. It was a horrible place we lived at that age anyway. Probably very bad energy there. So I felt I was surrounded by, I wouldn't use that word then, of course, but demons, evil forces. <laughs> My way to handle it? I pretended I was evil, and I pretended I was more evil than them. In fact, I told them that I was their boss. <laughs> <laughs> so they should smart <laughs> they should do as I said and I couldn't twitch I couldn't show weakness because if I did they would be all over me right fantastic <laughs> he isn't one of us fantastic <laughs> yeah but uh, but the best thing is secretly deep inside I, I don't think I had a concept of God my parents weren't religious at all but deep inside I don't know to who I said this but I remember I communicated that but it's not really real I'm not really evil. Oh, great. <laughs> I'm actually good. This is a child. And a child concept of good and evil, where does it come from? It's inside of us. It doesn't come from the outside. And in the darkness, it's made manifest because the subconscious is free to display itself. All the stuff we are suppressing comes out. In the light, children are like anyone else. But in the darkness, they are confronted with those innate, inborn timeless cross-culture issues which is why i think it's important to study how children does it especially if you can see it uh, detached from their current upbringing culture etc and i believe that happened in my case because like i said my parents were agnostics well that's that's quite beautiful my friend but i think it also speaks to and this cannot be ignored or or not put forth, put on the table, is that all of us have a different makeup in a different direction and maybe even a different plan. You are truly a psychic warrior, a spiritual warrior. I mean, who else is confronted with that at five years old and is able to... It's so know, Tai Chi, isn't it? <laughs> it is, man. It's, it's, it's incredible. But then to think it about how that's how that's informed your life and the things that you do. I mean, I don't mm. think that's accidental. Which is why I and, was and asking I think, for you know, your my memory. approach. <laughs> and, and and my memory and my memory is different. Mm. And I think it speaks to mm. kind of my approach. I mean, I was a business guy. Mm -hmm. I was out there, you know, making money. Just how do I be? How do I get the kind of material stuff? And that's been my approach since. Is kind of okay. Science must have the answer. Let me go look to science. And that has dragged me into yeah. the esoteric. So it's like we're coming at it from different angles, different sides. No, but it speaks to that character trait is very prevalent in your merciless quest for truth. And the way you're able to, and I told you this before, you know, browse through area after area 
And then you temporarily fall in love with one approach. Maybe it's new to you. It's an aspect. And then you, no, yeah, just give I can't one. be stuck here. I have to move on. <laughs> and then you attack it from another aspect. And, and, and you have to have that ability to be able to do what you do and, and write such a book too. I really recommend it to people. Um, there's so many teasers here. For example, Stop the Bastards. That's Anneke Lucas, the yeah. pedophile victim. And in this chapter, when evil breaks the law, when evil is the law, meet whistleblowers of evil. So stuff like that, this is teasers. So remember to, um, if you have like a free uh, showcase, remember to get this enticing, you know, on Amazon, look inside, let them uh, see those things in the chapters. <laughs> Will do. Yeah. Okay, so uh, before we continue... Let's take a break. Sounds good. <laughs> Let's fill up our coffee. We're already halfway, I'm sorry to say. Okay. But when we come back, we'll take this a lot deeper. Now, now I'm not going to hold you back, Alex. Now we're going to go all those places you, you started out with. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, buddy. I okay. love it. I love where it's going. Okay. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. Thanks. 